As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Welcome back to 755 is Real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer with The Athletic. I'm with my co-host, Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever. What's going on, Eric? What's up, Dave? Not much, man. We got a uh, big guest today, right up your alley. Former Braves yeah. reliever, well, current Braves reliever, Colin. Sorry, Colin, I wasn't trying to break any news to you there. Yeah, what do we need to know? Did I, did I miss something on Twitter? <laughs> uh, Braves reliever. One of the keys to this year's very successful and surprising to some people bullpen. So, and I say surprising, Colin, only because you guys have had kind of a string of injuries, and I know injuries happen in baseball, but you guys have overcome the loss of some really good uh, relievers this year, either for the whole season in the case of Luke, or, or you know for weeks at a time, like with Tyler. Welcome, by the way. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, man, we've, we're built we're built for uh, for the long haul. I think Alex Alex and his team in the front office did that on purpose. You know, they they brought yeah. a lot of depth in, they brought a lot of guys in, and you know, we've seen we've seen how necessary that is. I mean, when you lose off last year's, you moved. Uh, you obviously changed. You you move uh, uh, Kenley into the closer role, so you switch that up. But then you lose basically three of the key guys from last year's team, last year's core four. For long stretches, and in Luke's case, the whole season, and you guys really haven't missed a beat. I mean, it's pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, we've keeps guys, waiting for you to slow. Yeah, we've had some guys step up and just like you know throw big innings for us. Um, you know, whether it's the, at the end of the game. Yeah, you know, like like AJ. I mean, AJ stepped in. Um, I mean, beautifully, he's had one of the best seasons as as a reliever in the game right now. Um, Kenley coming in and doing his thing, um, and and Will being flexible to be able to you know he's right. he's been a closer for a couple of years now and be able to come in and. You know, Eric knows like guys who have, are in that role. It's it's can sometimes be tough to transition backwards or back back to a a fireman role or you know coming in bases loaded. It's just different uh, than than yeah. getting that clean ninth. And so, um, you know, Will's been Will's been nails down there. And you know, and honestly, for me, I'm still kind of learning how to, how to pitch in the bullpen. I'm still kind of new to it. So uh-huh. I'm uh, I'm picking these guys' brains every day. Him and you know, Darren O'Day's been down there and and super yeah. helpful for for us and. Chavi's been huge too. I mean, uh, Chavi. We call him Coach. Coach has been doing. Coach has been doing this. Chavi's coach. Like, yeah, this seems like forever, and uh, and he's he's always tinkering down there, always trying to figure out kind of what the best way is because he's like sinker slider, sinker or like sinker cutter, sinker cutter on both sides of the plate. But now he's mixing in change ups and curveballs, and he's like he's the ageless one. He's amazing, man. Every time the Braves get him, he comes over and pitches like twice as well as he was pitching before they got him. He's the best. <laughs> but so if he's coach, what's Darren O'Day? Grandpa? <laughs> Darren, yeah, right. No, he'll get mad. He'll get mad at us about that. Um no, nah, Darren's Darren's been like we were actually looking up the most appearances of anybody in Major League Baseball, active players. And I think Darren's top three. I think it's Joe Smith. Um Amazing God. Clippard. And then uh yeah, I think I think Darren, I think Darren's right up there around eight hundred. Yeah, uh, Kenley's up there God. too. Kenley's at like seven seventy, yeah. something like that. Um, oh, so yeah, it's a it's coach yeah. just uh, Chavi just went over a thousand innings. So yeah. we got like we got some some guys in this bullpen that 
we probably got the oldest bullpen in baseball. I mean, I've got to, I got to think easily. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I talked to you too about Kenley. What's amazing about him is not only does he have all those appearances, but almost all of them were as a closer with yeah. the Dodgers. I mean, tons, there were yeah. some high stress innings. Yeah. I mean, he's been, he's been doing this for a, for a long, long time. Um, and you know, when he wasn't closing for him, he was setting up and he was kind of, kind of in that same, that, that fireman, you know, you're going to get the meat of the lineup every seventh or eighth inning every day that you're winning. So, and they were winning a lot. So he's, he's, he's done this for a long, long time. I know there, I know there's exceptions, obviously guys who are closers for the whole year and have terrific seasons are like the year Eric had a sub one ERA, but it seems like in a bullpen, there's always a guy that's like for mentor did it for almost half a season where he was arguably the best reliever in baseball this year. And then you go through a little bit of a lull, but somebody else steps up and has a hot hand. It seems like that's the way it is in the bullpens nowadays. Yeah, you kind of have to have it that way. Because, I mean, Eric knows. I remember watching watching him and Johnny and uh, and Craig throw every day. I mean, every day. Yeah, every day. <laughs> and, pro- and if you weren't up, you were getting up. You know, yeah. you were getting up, you were getting hot. So being able to do that um, over the long haul of a, over a, over a season is just it's not yeah. super sustainable anymore, especially with starters – uh, yeah, yeah. starters not going 110, Absolutely. 120 pitches every night. So we, you have to have like a, on any given night, you got to have really five guys available. Um, and those five guys, they can't just be like, well, we're just going to eat innings. They got to be guys. No. That can, they got to get, they got to yeah. get out. Um, yep. and you know, we've had Dylan Lee come in and do an amazing job. We've had Jackson Stevens come yep. in and just, uh, you know, do what he does, which is just pitch. He knows yep. how to pitch. Um, you know, Strider at the beginning of the season coming in and, and striking the world out. Um, yeah. You know, we've we, we've had guys come in in different situ- dis- mm-hmm. different situations, different scenarios, and really pick us up when we when we need it. Especially those those back end guys who need a day off here and there. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been really like next man up, and that's yeah. kind of been our our whole mo. Yeah, the composition of the pen has changed so much over the course of the year. Whereas, like you were talking about in the old days when they had the old Ventral trio, for instance. Your starters, if they had a good start, would get you through seven innings or six innings. And that six innings, they'd hand the ball to those guys for the lead. Seven, eight, nine. It's over. And now it's yeah. starter might go four or five on on a, any given night. Not Max, and but just about anybody else. You, or Kyle's been seven inning guy, six inning guy this year. But for the most part, you 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 don't know if you're going to get more than four or five a lot of nights. And and you're going to have to have guys pitch five innings to relieve some nights. Yeah, uh, we've been uh, honestly, we've been we've been super lucky to have our starters be as yeah, yeah. Um, as workhorsey as they are yeah. um, this year. Um, even, really you know, everybody, even even Charlie, even Charlie, when he was struggling, he'd find a way yeah, to get through eat. five, six, seven innings. Yeah, uh, which is kind of the for me is is, is really the um, that's what you're looking for, and and somebody who has been around for a while. That's what you're looking for in starting pitchers. Yeah, um, a guy that you're going to pay money to go out there and get those innings, eat those innings, and not just like like I said, not just get out there and you know you're giving up five, six, seven runs and and the game's out of hand, but keeping us in the game the whole time. You know, with the offense that we have too, you've got to yeah. you've got to be aware that especially the the back end of the game against against other teams' bullpens, we've got a chance of scoring and scoring a lot. So. Keeping it close, keeping it within striking distance is is the key, and then yeah, yeah handing it off to to these guys in the back of the bullpen who have just done it over and over again. It's, yeah, th- it's a good formula. I think people underestimate the value of a starter that uh, even if he gives up three, four, five runs, if he gives you six or seven innings instead oh. of getting knocked out in the second inning, people don't realize how much that screws up things when that happens. And so last year, last year being in Tampa, it, it, it doesn't always work that way. So like right. teams are running things a lot differently now. And um, last year in Tampa, it was pretty much like five innings. You knew you were going to get yeah. Yeah. five innings max from, from a starter. And then it was going to, you were going to go to the bullpen and it was going to be, you know, maybe a six, seven, and then a eight, nine, two other guys, um, or you're going to go one, 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 one. And, you know, I, I ask, ask Eric about this. How does, how does it feel? When you're down there and you know the guy's got 75 pitches, yeah. maybe 80 oh, pitches on a you're day, you're stretching in the second inning. Oh, dude, everybody's sweating. Like your hand, you're just yeah. like your hands are sweating. You're you're nervous. You're waiting when that phone's gonna ring. You're like looking over to the dugout. You're like, is somebody moving? Somebody yeah. moving over there? They, they always pan to the manager, and I, whenever shit starts getting hairy in like the second or third inning, I wish they'd pan to the bullpen and watch everybody start frantically <laughs> stretching and pacing around. I mean, that tells you a lot more how much time the starters got left than, you know, just a still shot of the manager standing there, you know, looking a little upset. It's like, look down in the pen and everybody's kind of just, 
in panic mode, stretching as fast as they can. And it, you know, you guys are, I think you guys are lucky because Snit's pretty consistent with how he, how he does it. But there's some bullpens where it could be anybody but the closer after the second inning. And it, it's hard to explain to people how that stress piles up over a season. You're every, so every day you've got to be locked in from, uh, if you're a, if you're a guy like me or a guy like most guys in the bullpen from the first inning through the 27th out, you know, whatever yeah. that is. Yep. And, you know, we've had, now we've had like three rain delays, three hour plus rain delays in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So that's like a solid four and a half, five hours of just <laughs> yeah. like mentally, you've got to be in it. I got 30 um, minutes in me. <laughs> it's exhausting. And it's exhausting. You know, you might only play, yeah, you might only play for like 30, 30, 45 minutes tops. Yep. But, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be mentally aware and mentally in the game. Yeah. And over the course of 162, that's when they talk about like the dog days of summer and how much of it's a grind. It's a grind up here, really. Yeah. Like you're not, you're not allowed to turn it off. Yep. Um, so you got to figure out ways to kind of, be able to bring it back down, um, come back down to earth and, and being at home, like we were talking about before, um, with Eric being at home in Atlanta, having my kids here, having my right. family here, having my friends right. and community. It's two separate uh, worlds. It makes it easier. It makes yeah. it easier to kind of flip that switch, uh, when I need to. You're not going back to an empty apartment or a hotel room after the game, after a home game. Exactly. You're coming back home. I'm coming back home to my plants, coming yeah. back home to my kids and <laughs> uh, my garden in the front yard. And it's just, it, it, it is home. It feels like it. Yeah, and once you guys got hot in, in the first start of June, you got starters were, like you said, were pitching, I mean, almost every night going six, seven innings, five minimum, and, and you had a real system, r- rhythm going. And also, you guys have been lucky this year to avoid rain delays until recently. It was crazy. I was talking to another writer. You had one rain delay in the first half, and we've had years where we've had 10 to 15 rain delays in the at first least. half. At least, yeah. Oh, Didn't yeah. have one at home until the midpoint of the season, 81 game. I, it's crazy because I've been I've been playing inside for the last eight years, yeah. right? So between Houston and Tampa, yeah. you know, I was I never had to think about it, right? Like I was looking outside through the windows in Houston, being like, "Oh, it's about to tornado, right?" Out right. But we're still playing. <laughs> um, you see the clouds rolling in over over Truist though, and you're like, "Ooh, we got like 25 minutes yeah. tops." Yeah. Um, so you're like, "Hey, let's go, let's get this in and going." Um, but yeah, it's we've we've been pretty lucky so far. You know, we're gonna get our rain. It's gonna be Atlanta in the summer. Yeah. It's just it's a matter of time. Yeah, it's here now. Um, is hydration more important when you're pitching for a team like the Braves outside? You know, half your games are outside in the heat. Than it is oh, when you're, yeah. you know, inside with Houston and Tampa. A hundred percent. I mean, you, I, you're always thinking about hydration. Like yeah. I'm drinking my coffee right now, but then I'm like, all right, now I gotta, then I gotta crush three bottles of water before I get to the field, and then you gotta drink your hydration drink, and then yeah. over the course of the game, you gotta make sure that you're like getting the carbs in you too, because you can't yeah. just you can't just drink a lot of water, or else you're just like, uh, yeah, no energy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It's a whole different ball game being outside and and sweating, and you you know you can lose you can lose up to, you know, 15, 20 pounds in a season. If you're not, if you're not like really on top of it. So you gotta, you gotta make sure. And yeah. My weight would shift eight pounds every day in Atlanta. I'd get to the field at two ten, and I'd leave at two eighteen. It's wow. wild, right? Yeah. It's crazy. Um, for people who might not know your background, Colin, you were born in Illinois, but your parents moved to Georgia when you were real young, right? Yeah. So my whole family generations back, they're all, they're all from Georgia and, uh, me and my, me and my little brother, the two, two Midwest kids of the, uh, of the entire bunch. But I moved back, we moved back when I was seven. So, um, yeah, the Midwest has a, has a soft place in my heart for sure. But I'm a, I'm an Atlanta kid, you know, as, as far back as I can be. Went to Providence Christian Academy, which is in Lilburn, same Northern Atlanta suburb for people who aren't from here that Matt Olson and Jeff Francoeur are from. And where their high school alma mater, Parkview High, is located. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember I, I watched uh, I watched a bunch of games over at Parkview um, growing up because they had really really good baseball. And I remember watching Jeff Jeff's like state championship series. And you know it's he, yeah. he's um, the stories are legendary, and he he can tell and them Jeff better will than, tell than them all. He'll tell again, them all to you very gladly. <laughs> it's on, they were on, he was unbelievable, unbelievable. He was, and so was Olson, man. I think they yeah. won two titles with Olson, and I, and I. And a mythical national championship as well when he was there. So he's a, he has that on Frenchie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he was. Uh, we found we found an old uh, Baseball America in the uh, in the clubhouse the other day, and we had a picture of like seventeen year old Matt in there just <laughs> putting out like just video game numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy numbers. But Frenchie, of course, was the two sports star there, the legend. So the Clemson football recruit. Um. So you were undrafted out of high school. But you were an 
18th rounder out of Barry College, which I don't think many people are familiar with. A really cool, pretty looking school. It kind of has that Duke uh, Gothic architecture, doesn't it? A little school in Mount Barry, Georgia, up near It's amazing. Rome. Yeah, Barry College. Really it's, pretty. Uh, yeah, in Rome, Georgia. So Rome Braves. I, I, I think they're their high A or low A team with the Braves now. Yeah, but, they've been um, both. Now, that, now yep. they're high A. But yeah, Barry College is up there, and it's it's an amazing school. It's a liberal arts college, kind of in the middle of the mountains up there, and uh-huh. um, really started by there. Martha Barry way back in the in the late eighteen hundreds. And those those buildings, those Gothic buildings that are that are built kind of up on the hill, uh-huh. um, were built by uh, by Henry Ford. So no um, at the very beginning of the Ford Foundation, when they when they started it, uh, Henry donated wow. all the money to build these to build these buildings because it was a Essentially, it was a, a working college where everybody who was who went to school there also had to work on campus, and it was you know really like close to the ethos of of, of Ford and kind of uh-huh. what they were all about. And mm-hmm. uh, so Martha Berry and and Old Henry had a had a good relationship. And those yeah, those buildings are incredible. They look yeah. they look they look amazing. And I went up there not too long ago, and I'm still really close with uh, Coach David Beasley, the, the baseball coach up there. And Man, it's a it's a cool place. If you ever get a chance to be up in the mountains or go see a Rome yeah. Braves game, stop by the campus, take a look. Any wow, other I'm big looking at it right now. It looks cool. Yeah, man, it looks kind of like small Duke. Yeah. Any other uh, big leaguers from from Barry? So I'm the only guy, uh, only guy that's ever made it to the big leagues from Barry College. A couple guys have been drafted out of there, um, but yeah, it's it's a good baseball school. But we were NAIA when I was there. I think they're in, they're uh, D three at this point. Mm-hmm. So good baseball that's come through there, but you know it's not. It, it wasn't D one. It wasn't you know. Wasn't the the big time schools. When I went to, when I got a chance to go play in Cape Cod, it was the first time I'd ever in my entire life played against you know guys wow. of, of that caliber. Uh-huh. Um, so trying to see see where you match up against that was was a fun and interesting <laughs> interesting dynamic for me. Eighteenth <laughs> rounder. So for for everybody, to stop paying attention to the draft this year after the first or second day. There's plenty of people that get drafted later. Yeah, I was. It was when we had. Uh, I think we had fifty rounds, or yeah. like 40, 42 yeah. or somewhere up there rounds back in the day when I was when I was drafted in 08. Yeah. Now um, you might have been getting nervous. It's only twenty rounds now. Um, I'm. I would have been. Yeah, I would have been a <laughs> a free agent sign for sure. Like I wouldn't have gotten drafted. Right. Under, uh, especially guys. I mean, guys. Every guy's coming out throwing ninety five plus yep. now. Like you got guys that are that at the amateur level, really, really advanced. Um, and I. I it bodes well for our game, I think, because guys are getting better and getting younger. But yeah, I, this game would have passed me by a long time ago, for sure. Oh, they might have seen that spin. They got those rap sodos too. <laughs> yeah, they do. They might they have do. seen that. They. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Even, I didn't know what that was back in the day. Like, uh, yeah, I just knew like I had, a, I had a pretty good curveball at that. I didn't have a slider, so I just had a pretty good curveball. Fastball was in the like low nineties, ninety to ninety two. Um, which it still is. So there's not not a lot of difference at this point. I'm kind of the same guy I've always been, except instead of a 12-6 curveball now, I throw a lot more a lot more Sleeper. sideways curveballs. Yeah. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did you uh did you pay attention at all or see anything about the three guys, the four guys that the Braves drafted? They drafted hard throwing right handers and with their first four picks, three of them high school and one uh college guy. Uh we wa- we watched Auburn a little bit guy. of it when it was it was going on, I think in the clubhouse. Um one of the, it might have been during during one of those rain delays one of those days. Yeah. But it's funny <laughs> it's funny because we um when you're watching it at the big league level and you know, these guys have been around for a while, it's funny to watch 
big league guys watch high school guys get drafted and just, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) to be fair, they were like giving all these dudes a really hard time being like, Oh, I'm taking that ball deep. They're showing highlights of this (laughs) kid throwing, you know, 97 from the mound. (laughs) Yeah. And he was like, Oh, I'm taking that way back. You got got, uh, Kyle Wright. Like, Oh dude, I'm going, I'm going backside from the left side on that. Like, Yeah, they had they drafted a kid from Texas who was throwing a hundred before he had TJ surgery in last in, in April. So he's going to come back throwing one hundred and ten. Yeah, it's yeah. like Strider. So now, now it's funny because you hear, well, Dana Brown, of course, drafted Strider. So now they're looking for the next Strider. So they're willing to take more of a risk on some of these guys, knowing you know the body type, the type of spin they put on the ball. So they're looking for the next Strider, who was a fourth round pick. Right. And uh, he's special, man. He's a he's a special player. He. Kind of from the top, from the top all the way down. He takes care of himself really well off the field. Yeah, um, in the weight room, um, nutrition wise, he's just he's he's very particular about about how he how he prepares. And then what he's able to do on the field is is different. It's yeah. just different. His yeah. fastball. Ever, there are some guys that throw hard fastballs, but his really does jump. It looks like when you're playing catch, you got to like lock it in. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Like mm. Eric, if you play catch with a guy where you're like That's every day, you got to lock it in. Yeah, I'm going to square one up in the chest. Yep. Yeah, I saw a uh, Al Leiter was breaking it down. They were showing where the average uh, extension is for most pitchers. is like six feet coming off the thing. And he's a guy who's only 5'11 or whatever he is. And he gets like an extra six inches of extension because his stride is so long coming off the, the rubber. Yeah, he's, he's so strong with those legs. Yeah, he uses his, he uses his lower half really, really well. Um, I've talked to him a bunch about it, and he, he was like, when he was coming back from TJ, he kind of had to teach himself how to throw again, like mm-hmm. re really like tinker with his, with his delivery to make it as efficient as possible. So he was watching a lot of you Darvish trying to figure out how to get into his legs a little bit more. And, mm-hmm. you know, he always had a, a quick arm, but being able to utilize that and be able to tr- spin the ball efficiently and through the top of the zone. Um, he just, he does it as well as anybody right now. And it's, when he's throwing, when he's throwing strikes, when he's being aggressive, and when he's landing that landing that slider, yeah. I mean, you've seen you've seen what he what he can yeah. do to a lineup. That giddy up that he has on that fastball, I mean, it's not rising, but it looks like it is because where this it's released so low, and that spin he's got on it. So to the average, I don't know, for for all the listeners, like to the average eye from a hitter, a ball is going to take off from the hitter's hand and go down mm-hmm. towards the zone on a certain trajectory, and his ball just stays a little bit more true mm-hmm. it doesn't drop as much so to your eyes it really does look like the ball is gaining speed on you as it's coming as it's coming towards you yeah and it really does it we call it we used to call it hop yeah, um, yeah. it'll hop it looks like it hops over a guy's bat yeah the launch angle, too. tough I mean, to he, launch angle him yeah he yeah, yeah. you see it too it's it's one of those things where kind of like ian anderson was last year until guys see him in person they can watch all the video they want but it, Ian's arm slot and how different it is. Strider's fastball, you see it. and I mean, he'll miss middle-middle, and they swing under it. And then he, if he climbs, they just chase it up. But it, it tells you that it looks so hittable to a hitter, and then it just disappears on him. You know, but it's not like a breaking ball disappearing under the bat. It's disappearing over the bat because it's just got that trajectory to it. He's, yep. been, he's been fun to watch. He's going to continue to be. He's, he's, uh, he's like, can't miss baseball for me right now. So he's one guy that actually – it really did benefit from having TJ surgery because he learned how to pitch like you were saying, and he pitches better now than he did before he had it. It really does. It kind of exposes, uh, exposes your work ethic, your work ethic and, mm-hmm. and how committed you are to the craft. Because when you have, when you have TJ, um, I have, I've been lucky enough not to, not to go into the knife yet, but, um, I've had a lot of friends and a lot of teammates who have, and kind of the, this differentiating factor between guys who come back, and guys who really have a hard time, um, there's a ton of variables, but one of the one of the main keys is: Are you committed to making sure that you're mechanically sound when you come back? Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're just trying to do the same things, the same patterns as before, yeah. uh, kind of that's that's what got you there in a lot of ways. And so you kind of have to you have, you have to be really committed to making sure that when you get back on the mound, that you're throwing the ball efficiently. Yeah, yeah this guy's is. work ethic is uh, yeah, it's, it's beyond reproach. His work is. And how hard he want, and how much he wants to win, and how much he's put into studying it and trying to do every leave no stone unturned. 
you see so many guys try to use their legs and they wind up just jumping, you know, not staying back, getting getting way too out front and then just spinning off the ball. The way he stays into his legs, you can tell he put a lot of work into that. Yeah, there's a lot of squat there's a lot of squats behind that. <laughs> Are there <laughs> being able to hold that position for as long yeah. as he does? Um coming down the mound. Yeah, you're right. Just, you've seen guys like try and like plant and jump forward and do Doesn't all that work. stuff and you really do have to be able to ride that hill all the way down, and uh, he does it as well as anybody. Luke was telling us about his uh, now legendary stretching routine before the game. We saw a little bit of it when they had that funky uh, – at, at Arizona, they had the weight room right off the uh, the concourse where we walked through the hallway, and you could see you guys in there. It felt really weird to look at the guys in there before the game, but, but we saw a little bit of it. But Luke was telling us he gets in positions that people are like, what in the hell are you doing, man? That's pretty. Yeah, he's impressive. done. A, he's done a lot of. He's done a lot of yoga in his day, and um, you know, he's still he's still young. He's what 23, 24 yeah. years old. So he's he's got a long way to go. But he's uh, yeah, he, the things he's done so far are are pretty cool. And yeah, he'll those stretches are like you can we can all try to do them. <laughs> there is no way. There's no way to do that unless you've been stretching like that for the last yeah. ten years. You can't fake that. No. So you make you debuted at 25, four years after the Mets drafted you in the 18th round, mm-hmm. and you were a starter and reliever at that time, right? So a little both. I had been a starter my yeah my entire minor league career, um, and then got to the big leagues, had a couple starts, and then kind of the way that the way it worked back, the way it worked back then, and with a lot of teams was the minor league starters would come up if you needed a spot start, and then if yeah. not, you kind of get moved to that long that long right. guy um, position in the bullpen. And so that's kind of what I did. I made, I think, three or four starts with the Mets that uh, that August and September, and then um, got moved to that long that long guy role for the next X amount of time. Really until I really until I got to Houston. Really, that's what Max Fried did when he came up. He pitched in relief initially for a couple of years, a spot here and there, and then uh, then took off after they after he. They it's made a hard play. role, long man. <laughs> I don't wish I'm it on anybody. You. I keep talking to so so Jackson Stevens has been kind of doing that this year, and um, kind of talking to him through it is uh, is interesting because having to having to do that role, you have to be prepared for just about every situation, mm-hmm. right? You got to be prepared to come in early, like yeah. you're the first guy up if someone gets in trouble. Um, so you got to be prepared to warm up early, get sit down if he gets through that, and then come back on the backside of the game. If it's a, you know, if, if it's not a safe situation, if you're up or down like five or six runs, um, and you've got to be able to go multiples at the drop of a hat yep. and come back if you need to kind of that next day. So, um, it's, it's kind of a, a thankless job in a lot of ways. Um, but it's super important for any, any successful bullpen to have. And we've, uh, I, I, I don't think we can under, uh, understate how, how well of a job he's done this year. So you, you were 25 when you debuted. I think Eric, you were about the same age, right? No, I was 21. Oh, you got 21. up early, yeah. Baby. When you, when you came yeah. to the Braves, you were how old, though? I was 24 when I came to Atlanta. And really started being established. Yep. So, so uh, what, Colin, when you look at, like, Michael Harris, who's 21, youngest player in the majors, doing what he's doing, what – I mean, can you imagine doing that at that age, four years before you even made your debut? Dude, I was in I was in Kingsport, Tennessee, in rookie ball at 21, thinking, I'm never going to get out of here. I had, I had four I had four other college right-handed starters ahead of me in that rotation in rookie ball and I'm like this is where I am this is like where my where my career ends like I did I did, I did the best I could do. So yeah, he's coming up hitting hitting like homers and stealing bases and running down fly balls in big league games and in the in the NL East in a playoff push and he, it's uh, he, there's going to be in a bat that comes down to him at the end of this year when he's 21 years old that he's going to put us over the top and you know it's it's going to be par for the course for what he's done so far. Yeah. He looks so he's, comfortable. He's, he's pretty advanced. You you've been in both leagues in the last couple of years, so you've seen pretty much all the center fielders. I I, I mean I know it's early and it's crazy to even say this, but I, I haven't seen a current center fielder that's I don't want to say better than him. I don't think that's as good as him. I mean we've there's some. There's some good guys in this game. I mean, we're about to see somebody that we're about to see somebody this series and Mike Trout that has been doing it like this right. for a long time. But the the things that he can do on in every aspect of the game. I mean, yeah. when you talk about like five tools, you're talking about right. a guy who can run the ball down, which we've seen him do. 
a guy who can throw the ball 100 miles an hour from the outfield accurately, which he can do. A guy who can hit some hit for some power, which we've seen him put. Dude, you got to see his BP. His last yeah. round of BP, he just decides he wants to hit homers and just is pulling balls on top of the chop house. <laughs> it's like he's not. It's not. He's not trying. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Um, he's hitting three. I mean, he's hitting almost 300. He's stealing. He's stealing bags. He's he, ten for ten in stolen bases. By right, the way, like, he stole three bases in the last game before the break. I didn't know that. I didn't think that there was there was anybody who was who was quicker, you know, first to second or home to second or first to third than, than Ronnie. Uh-huh. Uh, but when, when Mike gets going, I mean, yeah. he's, he gets the top speed so fast that, yeah, he can do things that other people, other people around the league just, just aren't capable of. So Buxton. for him, it's going to be consistency, just being right. able to do it day in and day out. Yeah. Buxton is the other guy, I think in center field that can do some crazy athletic things too. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Mike Mike's arm might separate him to me. His arm is so strong and so accurate. Accurate, yeah. It's super accurate. And he spins the ball really true too. So he's able to keep that mm-hmm. ball on that line for a long time. And he does, you're right, he does remind me a little bit um of, of or a lot of Byron out there. Um, because you know, I've seen him I've seen him do it for for a few years now. And when he, same thing, when he's healthy and he's going out there consistently and posting, mm-hmm. I mean you see in the all-star game, he's taking a 95 98 mile hour fastball above his head and hitting it out to heading out to left so he, he was the got, best player i saw in spring training i said if this guy can stay healthy ever for 150 games he'd win mvp i mean he was going to be i remember he was going to be the consensus number one overall pick when houston took uh took correa ahead mm-hmm. of him and um everybody was like i can't believe this and correa's turned into to yeah. quite the player on his on his, on his own on his own right but yeah yeah byron's always had that all that ability and you know, to to see Mike doing it at 21 years old, it, it does. It gives you it gives you flashes, it gives you flashbacks. Man, it is unbelievable how much not just good talent is coming from George in the last decade, but elite talent. Yeah, it is crazy. Two of the first four picks this year, Georgia high school kids. I mean, it's just year after year now. Yeah, that's a it's kind of a factory, man. And it's not just Atlanta anymore. You know, it's right. it's. It's outside of Atlanta, suburbs outside of Atlanta in all directions. It's South Georgia, it's Savannah, it's yeah, Columbus, Valdosta. Yeah, we've got town. we've got great athletes. Um, you know, between California, Texas, Florida, Georgia. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got some really elite athletes that are coming out of there, and it's yeah, cool it, to be in, to be in Atlanta and have some Atlanta kids around as well. So it's it, it feels like home. Yeah, I, I think Georgia's starting to bump up against those three that you mentioned as far as being that next staked in that group and i love seeing these two kids from atlanta being black kids man i love I seeing that some black kids coming out of high school playing baseball at that level it's, it's really cool, man. cool yeah yeah it's uh, there's there's not there's not enough there's not enough representation in the game yeah. uh as it is right now and so to be able to see to be able to see some young some young black kids be in be in the game as early as they are and be as advanced as they are yeah uh, i think it speaks i mean it speaks a lot to them and their their work ethic obviously but um, but hopefully also to to Major League Baseball's uh, their initiatives to reach out to these yeah. communities that that honestly that were baseball's baseball's not uh, not prioritized because it's it's expensive it's yeah. hard to get into it's hard to continue to play uh, yeah. so so these RBI programs these these inter these inner city baseball programs um, have been incredible I've I've done a, a lot of these camps over the years and and seen some of these kids and the, the talent that they have at, at a young age is pretty cool. Yeah, to see those guys get drafted that high, and then they're going to get these huge signing bonuses. That money talks when kids see he made how much. Yeah. I think that that gets them a little more interested, you know, in baseball. When you see you can make a lot of money doing this, man, if you're really good. Baseball's but, hard, man, because it's it's a it's a long process. Like yeah. we were talking about, like like uh, Eric got up at at 21, but like that's that's very much the uh, the outlier. That's mm-hmm. that's not the that's not the law, you know. Guys like guys like me, like I was. I got up at 25, but it took me three years to get my first full big league season. You know, so I was 27 before I, before I kind of stuck in the big leagues. Um, and and at that point, you know, you've been, you've been grinding on whatever kind yeah. of signing bonus you've gotten for for seven or eight years at that point. Um, Kyler so Murray really would just be getting to Triple A. Exactly. Exactly. Man, I, it takes that long that long view. That that contract he just signed, I saw that, that people were comparing it to Oakland's entire payroll. Entire payroll. His average yeah. salary per year is going to be over forty one million. It's yeah, it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> he, he made, think he, he made, he made right a good call. choice for himself. <laughs> you know, his career might not be nearly as long, and it only takes one hit in the in the NFL. But yeah, that's a that's a lot of money. Guys, let's take a quick break, and then we'll finish up the show. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. So you pitched two parts of two seasons with the Mets. You just alluded to it. Made a handful of starts, handful of relief appearances for them. Went 0-5 with an 8-2-6 ERA before you were traded to the Rockies in exchange for Eric Young Jr. That's right. In 2013, July 2013. Baseball is a small world, man, because we had Eric Young Jr. here a couple of years later with the Braves. And now, of course, we got his dad, his yeah, first base coach. But small world. EY, yeah, so EY has been uh, he's been great over here for us. And then his son, yeah, Junior's now the first base coach over in Washington. So I've gotten to see him a little bit. And, yeah, it's it's wild. I thought, you know, I, you think you I was going to be a Met forever. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm going yeah. to be with the Mets. This is going to be my team. And then you get traded that first time and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm just playing for everybody every day. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Can't be a fan. That's what happens. You know, you just you get, you get moving around. I was, ta- I mean, I was, ta- I was bad in New York. So uh, I'm going to give all the, all the credit to um, all the credit to the fans in New York for giving me a hard time. That was all well-deserved and, uh, <laughs> and Colorado is tough, man. It's tough to pitch there. I was there for about half a season and then, um, you know, was fortunate enough to, to stick on in Houston. That's how I was going to say, you go to the Rockies, you went 0 and three with a nine, nine, five year and four starts in 2013. Then you get claimed by Houston on waivers in December, 2013. Yep. So here's where your story takes a very sharp turn for the better. <laughs> And, and I just want to know, what was the biggest key, if there is one for you? I don't think I've asked you this before. And your career really taken off at that point. Because in 2014 with the Astros, you had 11 wins, 2.73 ERA, and 25 starts. 157 yeah. strikeouts and 154 innings. You finished fourth in the AL Rookie of the Year balloting. And that next year, you go 19-7 and seven with the Astros, 3.89 ERA and 32 starts, 171 strikeouts, Career-high 203 innings and finished eighth in the Cy Young balloting. So that's a long way from what you did with the Mets and the Rockies right. to what you did with the Astros. Yeah, yeah. I, You know, I always tell people it wasn't – it's really not like a magic bullet. Um, you know, at, at that point, like I said, I was 26, 27 years old, and I felt like I was really figuring out how to pitch mm-hmm. um, just at that point. I was kind of a kind of a slow burn up until then. I'd always been good enough to make it to that next level, but really not – not like at all. Yeah. And so I remember I was, I had a couple, I had a couple starts in, um, in Colorado Springs. I, they had sent me down to AAA with Colorado towards right before September. Um, and I had a couple starts where I was in Colorado Springs. It was like cold and windy. The wind was blowing straight out. Can't spin. I couldn't spin a breaking ball there. And I was like, I got to figure out how to pitch with my fastball. And so yeah. that's when I, started, I started messing around with four seamers up cutters up and in, I remember we faced a lineup that was completely left-handed and I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go all like four seamers, top of the zone cutters on the hands and just see what happens. Um, and I had some success and I thought, okay, well there, there might be something to that. And then after the season, I went down and down and played in Venezuela, um, down in Caracas like and Jackson and, Stevens. Like, yeah, exactly. And started to, started to kind of figure out how to use that mix a little bit better. Um, how to use my curveball more, how to, how to, how to shape my fastball a little bit um, and really just be aggressive. And there's some, re- there was some really good talent down there. And mm-hmm. I, I think for me being able to go down there and have some success and actually like breed a little confidence in myself um, made all the difference in the world. Yeah. And then I got claimed by Houston that off season. Um, so they saw in, you pitch down there probably. Pr- I probably, yeah they, yeah, they saw me. Yeah. They, they, I think they had a couple guys down there um, who were in the organization um, saw me pitch I, I, they were the worst team. They had just lost 
hundred games three mm-hmm. years in a row right. in the big league. And so they had they obviously had the first pick with waivers. So they got um they claimed me and um yeah, I, I got to got to kind of learn under Brent Strom a little bit, who to me is um kind of the OG in terms of pitching coaches in baseball. And it wasn't anything specific other than, hey, you've got a really good curveball. You need to throw it more. Yeah. And let's work this. Let's let's get rid of the two seamer. You're not throwing those many of those anyways, and they're and they're not they're not very good. So let's work this four seamer and this cutter at the top of the zone. Let's throw your breaking ball off of it. And let's be as aggressive as we can possibly be in the strike zone. And when you do that, like the the stats yeah. are the the percentages are already skewed in your favor as a pitcher so drastically that really when you throw strike one, you throw strike two, you become in the driver's seat no matter what kind of stuff you're out there working right. with. Um, so for for us, and then kind of last year in Tampa, it was really driven home. Um, the way they do things there the same way. You know, you you play the percentages and you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of outs. And and I was fortunate enough to do that for a couple of years in Houston. And then um yeah, I've kind of worked my way into from starter to reliever, back to starter, back to reliever, and um, done a lot of things at this point. So I've I've got a I got a lot of tools under my belt. You have you Charles. always been able to spin the ball like that? Yeah, I've kind of I've been throwing a curveball like that, like kind of that big over the top curveball since I was probably like twelve or thirteen. And then um yeah, when I I had a little bit of some some shoulder tendonitis in uh, in seventeen in Houston, and so when I was rehabbing from that, I was messing around with our rehab coordinator, um, trying to throw some some sliders. I was like, I, I think I could probably do it. Yeah, and uh, found a good shape with it, and learned that yeah, I could spin it that way too. I actually could, I could actually spin it faster from that natural arm slot out here rather than trying to climb a little bit with that curveball. Yeah. Um, so for yeah, for me, it was kind of a natural fit. I always wonder if, if like, I wanted to ask you this too, if you think spin's something that can be taught, kind of like velocity, but like if it's something that can be taught or if you think it's something that you're just born with. Because I remember Sean Doolittle trying to learn a slider and he was just like turning it, you know, like a doorknob. And yeah. for me, it just, because I could always spin it, it, just didn't make sense in my head. Like, how can you not figure this out, man? You're in the big leagues. <laughs> right. And he's had a great career, but he just didn't, he couldn't figure out how to spin the ball. And then there's other guys that, you, like you're saying, from the time you were 11, you just knew how to spin a ball and it just came natural. But there's a lot of guys that just can't quite grasp how to throw that front half of the ball or, or, or get on the side of it or top of it. So I wanted to ask you if you think that's just something you were born with or something you learned even as a kid. Yeah, it's a really good question um, because I, I think that guys guys are going to spin the ball generally how they're going to spin it. Like I think yeah. guys, guys' hand and arm and wrist kind of works works in a certain way. Mm-hmm. The way it comes through their slot, whatever it is. Some guys, like some guys, like Kenley, can turn it like this. Their hand naturally comes through a little bit supinated, and they can kind of cut the ball like that. Some guys, like like you, like Venner's, who can come through and kind of get on the inside of that ball and really be able to turn it over and be able to pronate well. You can sink the ball, and then guys, usually guys who can sink it like that, are also guys who can go the other get way inside. and spin it like that. But then you get the Doolittles of the world who really are able to stay straight <laughs> yeah. through the ball and ride it through the zone, which I have a hard yeah. time doing. Can't like do it from my slot, being able to do that. So that's that's its own skill in and of itself. Yep. Wow. When you see Pedro, it makes when it, it reminds me of when Pedro Martinez would show what he could do with his fingers, how double jointed he was with everything. Dude, his hands are his hands are like that yeah. long too. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Like his fingers go they go out and up, and it's he's 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 on a different level. Born to pitch. Yes. Yes. That's great, man. That what you were saying about what Kinley does, why Kinley's able to throw a cutter for a while. I mean, he's throwing ninety-eight mile an hour cutters at the, at his peak of his powers. Hey, this year he's he's hit ninety-seven this year a couple yeah. times. Like Dodgers game, he did. He's got it. He's got it in the tank right now, and he and he can. He's been able to mix it up a little bit. He can kind of sink the ball every once in a while, kind of get inside and get that run. But for the most part, he's like here, and he is coming right at you and cutting that ball. Yeah, he's getting ten inches, ten inches of cut on a ball. With 18 inches of like of hop, so that ball it's like it's a completely unicorn pitch. Like nobody, right. nobody can throw that pitch in baseball. Wow. It's hard to hit. I remember asking at one of my first years, I was watching Mariano Rivera pitch, and I asked Raul Ibanez, I was like, Raul, you know he's throwing cutter. Why don't you just like swing where it's gonna be?" And he's like, "Buddy, we we can't track it. You know, like our eyes lie to us." Because you can't lie to your eyes and just swing in a spot where you think it's going to be. We see it. It looks good. We know it's going to cut. And then it just cuts way more than our eyes can process and we can't hit it. But he yep. just looked at me like, dude, 
you don't think we thought of that sit and cutter it's like we're all sitting cutter i was like oh man i need to shut up (laughs) hitting's hard dude hitting is uh, hitting is so hard but especially when guys are throwing this kind of stuff they're throwing now i'm like i have no idea how guys do this Mm -mm. I, i i just imagine that when like when i'm going up to the mound they see me coming out and guys are just like sprinting to the box. They're like, I cannot wait. This is 92. Somebody is not going to handle that. So you followed the same kind of a career path location wise as, as uh, Charlie, you went Houston, Tampa, Atlanta. And speaking of spin, have you seen anybody that spins it quite the way Charlie does? Cause I only say that because I look, I've never seen anybody when I look at spin rate, like I could look at a Strider's velo, like on a stat cast and he'll have the top 30 velocity pitches of all the pitchers in that game. Usually yeah. it was an exception when he pitched against St. Louis. Cause their, their guy came in and was throwing right. 102, but Charlie's that way with uh spin rate. Cause he'll have mm. like the top 40 spin 3, rates in a game. Yeah. All these 3,300 and stuff. How does Charlie spin the ball so much better than most other guys? That's the same thing, dude. He's like, he's this unicorn the way he is. I remember him him saying like he used to when he was in in uh, his early years, early in Atlanta, and then when he got to uh, Pittsburgh, he kept trying to trying to make it like a twelve six, like straight over the top. Yep. So he was having to kind of climb his arm path up a little bit to get on top of it. He was like, when I stopped and I could just kind of like let my arm get that natural, natural. spot, his yep. hand kind of stays on the side of it like this. So he's able to spin it more easily coming through it that way than he is coming through it that way. And yeah, the way his, the way his whippy arm is like his shoulders are incredibly loose. He's got yeah. like the longest arm span in baseball. Um, yeah. His natural, his natural, uh, I mean, measurables are just different than most guys. Yeah. And so what he's able to do and he kind of spikes it. Right. So he's got the, he's got one finger up and one finger down and he's able to put a lot of pressure on that, that pointer finger and really get through the ball like that. But yeah, his, he spins it at 32 to 34, really like, which mm-hmm. is, it, it's kind of it's incredible. Insane. Jackson, Jackson Stevens can spin one. Uh, I mean, pretty high too in the, in the 3100s. But the thing that separates them, spin rates, like it's a, it's a nice measurable because you can look at it and see like, okay, generally when guys spin it hard, it's going to have be. this movement. But the thing that matters the most is the actual movement patterns right. of the ball. And the, what Charlie's able to do is have depth of 15 inches and horizontal of 15 to 20 inches, which you'll see left lefties, especially you'll see them track it, track it, track it, track it. And they're like, it's, it's just gone. not there by the time they're swinging. It's gone, um, which is, it's fun to watch when he's, when he's yeah. on, he's on. Yeah. That slurve used to be a pitch that it was almost eliminated when you were like, when I came into the game, that's what I threw, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s. The slurve was kind of looked at as just a, a just a bootleg pitch, not something they wanted. They either wanted to see 12-6 curveball, a lot of straight down break, or they wanted a tight slider. Now you're seeing a lot of guys throw that and realize the value in all that horizontal movement. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's a it's a it's a you're right, it's another pitch in and of itself, being able to throw throw a, a ball that does both that breaks yep. plane this way and breaks plane that way. So, you know, if you can do it, especially with, with some velocity, which yeah. him outright, right. Um, mm-hmm. Lance McCullers, you see these guys who can throw it in like the, the mid to high eighties when you're throwing a breaking ball like that, it's just, it becomes devastating. Yeah. Physically, you're talking about Charlie, man, you look at Charlie and it's like, he was, he was just put on earth to pitch yeah. uh-huh. the way that guy's put uh-huh. together, man. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Brown was like that when I covered him with the Marlins. Before he got Kevin, really big, but he was—he was, he was, he was throwing yeah, ninety-seven mile an hour sinkers, and he could paint. He had like yeah. really good command. Yeah, um, yeah, he was—he was fun, fun to watch. I mean, and, not against and, the Braves, but and his nastiness was uh, evident in the fact that he had pinpoint command, and he also led the league and hit batters that year. He wasn't afraid. Yeah, he wasn't <laughs> no. afraid. No, he—he he, he was the king of the purpose pitch, man. <laughs> um. So yeah, you had 30 wins and a 339 ERA in a two-year span with the Astros. 328 strikeouts, 358 ins. That next year was I think you had one more full year in their rotation, and your ERA jumped up to 448. 12 starts the following uh year. Then you go to the uh the bullpen and just took off. I mean, you had a 199 ERA and 58 appearances in 2018, your first year in the bullpen. 
So was you just ready at that point of your career to transition to the pen or, or how'd that work out? No, I just got kind of, I kind of got you when you've got, uh, Justin Verlander, yeah. Matt Grinky, Garrett draw. Cole, Lance McCullers, <laughs> yeah. Dallas, like, like I was kind of the odd man out, um, when it came to it. And, uh, so I, I had a little bit of experience in the playoffs in 2017 thrown out of the pen. They liked what they saw. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my stuff played up just a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, in 2018, they were kind of like, all right, we're going to put you in the pen. We're going to see how, it, see how it plays. And, um, yeah, it was kind of like drinking from a fire hydrant for me. Uh, cause I, I had no idea how to do it really. Mm-hmm. It'd been a long time. Um, <laughs> so I was leaning on a lot of those guys, you know, the, uh, Luke Gregerson and Will Harris and, uh, Pat Neshek and some of these guys who had been around for a long time and, and, and been good relievers in baseball and trying to figure out what a routine looks like and how to work out and when to throw and how much to throw. So it was all new for me. And when I got out there, when I got out there to actually pitch, uh, I was like, just get outs, just get as yeah. many outs as you can get. And that was my whole goal. And so whether it was, whether I was going one inning or three innings, um, I was just like, I've, I've got one job to do and I, I feel pretty confident in my ability to do it. So yeah, I had some success there. Um, I opted out in 2020 because with the pandemic and everything, and uh, just didn't didn't feel right to to keep playing in the middle of that, especially up in Boston. I was away from my family and, and couldn't do it. But yeah, then and last year in, in 2021, had a chance to go go down and and play in Tampa and learn down there and and compete some more. And yeah, it's it's kind of all it's kind of all come together um, in a way that that makes sense in my brain now. You had a couple of our favorite guys there in uh, Houston behind the plate with uh, B Mac and Gaddis. Uh, two, I mean, two of the best teammates of, yeah. of all time. Uh, yeah. Truly, two of the best. Two of the best guys. I still, still try and talk to him as often as I can. I'll, every once in a while, I'll get a a random Facetime from Evan Gaddis. Uh, he's always, yeah. he's always like shirtless yeah. in a garage, just like so happy. I, I love that guy in Colorado. Yeah, ski, uh, some bad. ski resort in Colorado. His girlfriend's yeah. at the bar working. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that guy's out there, man. Love that guy eccentric love him so you had bmac for a couple of years huh mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's i mean I'll, I'll tell anybody who's anybody who is willing to listen he's he's probably the reason that we um that we were so successful as a pitching staff that year yeah his ability to his ability to really just have relationships with pitchers mm-hmm. you know oh, yeah. pump their tires when they need to tell them how good they are tell them how nasty their stuff is and also think through the game i don't think anybody that i've seen um Besides maybe Travis, Travis Darno does a really, really amazing job of reading swings as they're happening mm-hmm. and reading at bats, um, you know, as the game goes on. But uh, but Brian was kind of the first guy that I'd ever seen be able to do that super consistently and have that just Rolodex of a memory to know yeah. what we had done last time, what we need to do this time, and what def- what he thinks the hitter's definitely definitely trying to do right now. And so many times, I mean, he would hit on all three of those. He's well, so invested. Mm-hmm. I mean, it did every single pitch. I tell Dave all the time whenever he comes up that, you know, I'd be, I'd always go up in the room and have a beer, hang out with him and uh, David Ross after games. And these guys would be torn up over the long man. The long man gave up one run in an eight nothing blowout and they're torn up and going over this pitch they called that they knew they blew. And it just, it, it blew my mind because I was like, I can't believe these guys care that much because I forgot it even happened. And they're, they're up talking until midnight about what they need to do next time. And, you know, they can't have him throwing a change up in this count to Carlos Lee. And I'm just like, I don't, I've never seen guys that invested And BMAC was the king of it. It's so good, man. And then, yeah, you're right. It's the, it's, it's how much they care. And you have to know, you have to know and trust that they care that much because when they put something down, I never shake. <laughs> no, you're like, I, I believe it. I believe yeah. that this is the right one. Gives you so much confidence. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And he's, he's the best man. I'm, I'm really happy to, to be a brave, but like, I'm really happy to be, to be closer to closer to that organization that I, I saw him come up and I saw him kind of become the guy he was. Yep. And then to see it kind of come full circle through New mm-hmm. York, through Houston and back to Atlanta on the back end, man, it was, yeah. it was fun to, it was fun for me to watch as a fan, him be able to come home and kind of do what he's doing with this young group of guys that, that, really needed it at the time and you're kind of seeing the fruit of that now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Indelible impression on the organization, man. People forget how great of a hitter he was. Not good. Great hitter he was in his first five, six, seven years. 
I think he won what six silver sluggers. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, it's crazy. Hank crazy. Aaron didn't do that. I know. At the start of his career. I mean, he did things that were like, people forget how great a hitter he was, man. And then he became, I, obviously was a great defensive catcher, but the way, the way he called games and the relationship, because Eric talks about it too. Hey, it changed Eric's career. Oh, he taught me the value of complimenting people too. You know, just, he will come up to you and just tell you this stuff that makes you feel like nobody can hit you. You know, he'll tell you how great your slider is. And, you know, I mean, guys will, you just don't get compliments like that in a big league clubhouse. You know, nobody goes out of their way and tells you how nasty you are. But the next time he calls it in a game, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm t- this is that dirty slider he was talking about he wants right there. And then you throw a nasty pitch. You know, he, he taught me a lot about life. Without a doubt. I mean, that it's this, we talked about this like cycle of success and confidence and kind of what's oh. chicken or the egg, like which one comes first, right? So you like, you have some success and it breeds confidence and then you have more success and it breeds more confidence. Or do you have to build confidence out of kind yeah. of thin air and then go have success to reinforce it. And I think the best, the best players, the best coaches, um, are the people who can instill that confidence on the front end. So yeah. that when you go out there, you're already standing a little bit taller. You yep. know, you're already feeling a little bit. Your chest is out a little bit more, and you know that when you throw this pitch, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, and, and then you have success, and it reinforces that. So you go do it again the next time. So it's 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 hard, but it's it's a huge part of the game. Yeah, it's one of those one of those uh, kind of intangibles. That's one of those hurdles, too, that is so hard for young players like Kyle Wright. You see what he can do now that he has confidence, but you see, guys, it's that's why the clubhouse is so valuable and why I think the Braves get so much success out of young players because it used to be you'd get called up and you're 25th man on the roster. Guys aren't even saying hi to you. you know. And now it's you, these guys come up to the game and they're a part of things right away and guys are pumping them up. If you go up to the wrong clubhouse as a young guy and your confidence is already kind of low because nobody comes up to the big leagues thinking they're just going to tear it up. But if you come up to a clubhouse that pumps you up and makes you feel welcome right away, I think that's one of the big changes that's helped young players in the game is kind of getting rid of all that hazing and you don't belong type of stuff and you got to earn it. And now it's shifted to you know, giving guys confidence and making them feel like a part of it right away. I think that's a big hurdle that a lot of young guys are able to get over a lot faster now. I mean, without a doubt, there's the, the idea of the idea of a kid coming up to play and um, being told or being uh, made to believe that he's doesn't deserve to be there is insane. Then go to out me. there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. You need that guy to play. You need yeah. that guy to play well. You like that guy's got to throw meaningful <laughs> innings. That guy's got to yeah. get a big hit. Yeah. And you're gonna tell. You're gonna like haze him and like cut his shorts up and tell him like <laughs> how you don't deserve to be here. Like what are we doing? What yeah. are we doing? Yep. Yeah. It's been a huge shift. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Harris. Yeah. You would not want to be hazing Michael Harris right now. No, you want him at peak. He's made. I want, yeah. I want him hitting homers and then I'm going to pump his tires when he's done and tell him how good he is and let him him go do it again the next day. Do it again tomorrow. How about, how about that guy, how mature he is, man. He just, you know, sits over there quietly reads and everything before the games. I mean, he's just, uh, does his thing, man. It's funny to see different personalities at play in the clubhouse because, uh, you know, not everybody is the same. And that's the great thing about baseball. Yeah. Um, you know, you go out on the field and you might not even have the same personality that you do on the field off the field. Right. So yeah, Mike's super quiet. Um, you know, he's, I think, I think he's still trying to learn where he, where he fits in a clubhouse. I mean, you'll, mm-hmm. it took me four years before I like, yeah, was able to look people in the eye in the clubhouse. Yeah. Cause I was like, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> I don't want to, yeah. I don't want anybody don't notice me, please. Yep. Like, I yeah. Just be invisible. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the more comfortable guys get, it's fun to see their personalities kind of come out and and which things which things kind of light them up, you know. And yeah. and I think that the, with these young guys, the the longer we're around each other and and the more time we get to spend around each other, the better it's going to be, and the more um, the more comfortable they're going to get, and the more comfortable we're all going to get. Yeah, I mean, you got extroverts and you got introverts, and and you can't just change that, you know, in the clubhouse. But then he gets on the field. And the guy looks totally comfortable doing right. everything, you know, making diving catches and all that. Then he sits in the clubhouse and he's just too quiet. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Right. Play. I know. I used to do my workouts in a closet or something because I had all these weird back exercises I had to do when I was a rookie. Because <laughs> I hurt my back. It's like, I don't want to get crushed for this. I go find just like the most obscure area just out of everybody's sight to get my routine in so I didn't get crushed. But you think about it and you're like, what if a guy was too, you know, too nervous to do his normal routine to go into a game. Absolutely. I mean, there's, 
there's things that you have to do every day. Yeah. And if you feel like, uh, I don't know, I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure if I could do that. We, yeah. I remember talking to me and Matty were talking about it. And Matic was like, dude, when I got to Colorado, he's like, I sat in my locker. Yeah. I looked into my locker, <laughs> turned around. He's like, I knew somebody was going to yell at me, like, look, look back, don't look at me. I just like, got to know the back of my locker really well. Yeah. So you, you think about the difference. That. You know, for me, it made a big difference coming to Atlanta because you think about the difference between that feeling of I just stare into my wa- uh, locker, I'm walking on eggshells, and then I walk outside when I'm supposed to for BP. You know, and that's your routine. It's just don't be noticed versus uh, a catcher that's winning silver sluggers every year and an all-star coming up to you and telling you how nasty you are. The confidence you take into the game with that is totally different. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, that's, I, I, that's my favorite. My favorite thing is to tell guys how good they are. Cause yeah. I'm like, that's the best thing. If it's the best thing you hear today, then that's perfect because I'm going to need that in two days. And when I throw a nasty slider, I, I need you to come over and be like, Hey, that's yeah. the one. I need <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. Hey, it's just to wrap this up. Is Snit seems like a real good guy to have as far as having a team that's got, like you said, the oldest bullpen in the league, but you got a couple of rookies that are making standout contributions in other parts. You got a mix and you've had that really the whole run of four division titles. He seems like a really good manager to have on a team like that. Yeah, you know, his his breadth of experience, I think, working with young guys in the minor yeah. leagues for a long time, he yeah. knows he still knows that mentality. Um yeah. and at the end of the day, he's kind of from the from the Bobby Cox mold where it's hey, we're staying here. You know, we're trying to win series. And if you win series, you're gonna win ninety five to hundred games. You win ninety five to hundred games, you're probably gonna win the division. You win the division, you're gonna give yourself a chance in the playoffs. And that's kind of the progression that you make. So every day doesn't feel so big, you know, every oh, day yeah, feels right. like you're going out, you're going to play, you're going to play hard, we're going to see what happens. And then at the end of the series, we'll see where we're at. Where we're at. at the end of the week, at the end of the homestand, we'll see where we're at. At the end of this first half, you know, you can look back and, you know, he can say, you know, we've done some really good work. We've got we got 70 more games left. Let's go. Let's go tackle these games kind of one series at a time. And um, yeah, that calming personality and and that not getting too up or too down or too flustered by really anything is um it's what you're looking for in a manager. To be honest, you know, you've got we've got coaches to specifically coach each of these mm-hmm. areas of the game, but the manager is the person managing the personalities in the right. clubhouse, managing the temperament, and and really just kind of figuring out like we had five show and goes in a row where we were coming to the field, no BP, just come to the field, get ready and go play. Mm-hmm. Because he knew we were in the middle of a 21 game in a row stretch and we needed them. And so yeah. being able to see that and kind of a guy just has some feel. You know, yeah. that's what you're looking for. Guy has, has some feel and, and Snit's got that. Other managers are scared to do that because of how it looks from the from the yeah. from the box up top. You know, if, if you lose today and you had a show and go, you know, yeah. it's he's he doesn't manage for any of that. But I just I think you can see it how he runs the bullpen too, because he'll get criticized a lot of times for you down one or two runs and people want him to bring in mentor. And he understands that, you know, you're not going to win every day. But if I start using my my studs every single game, they're going to be burnt out at the end of the year. And he doesn't seem to manage um, to answer questions at all. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. A lot of guys do. You're right. Like you you manage because, you know, the percentages, you know, yep. the you're like, OK, if I the percentages say if I play if I play this card, then you know, we'll probably, this is probably the outcome we will get. And then if it doesn't happen, you can go, well, I played, I played the percentages. Yeah, yeah. I did what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Um, but like, like I said, being able to have some feel and being able to, be, Hey, AJ's he's three out of five. He is, yep. he's, you know, six out of 10, but he's warmed up four times in those other days. Yeah. You just got to know like generally where your guys are at. And that goes to communication from the bullpen coach to, from the player to the bullpen coach, to the pitching coach, to the manager, and kind of this 360, you know, um, mentality where everybody is really looking all the way around them, seeing, okay, what's happening in these different areas of the game, and how do we make sure that we're all kind of pulling in the right direction? And yeah. and so far, we've done a pretty good job of that. And, yeah. and that's one thing that people outside of organization, when they're watching on TV, and I don't blame them because why? How, how would they know? But I wish they would keep that in mind that it's there's so much more going on than what you see. There's a reason why he didn't bring that guy in. There's a reason why this is the guy yeah. pitching. Believe me, he's got more invested in winning the game than you do at home. He's trying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, context is key here. And and yeah. baseball is a long season. So I, yeah. I get it. As a fan, which I, yeah. I'm still a huge fan, a huge baseball fan, 
it's very easy to get wrapped up in the day and in the, in the individual yeah. day. And, you know, if you're, I remember if I, if I was, uh, if I, when I was a kid and I was watching Braves games and I'd wake up the next morning and if I saw that they lost, yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm not going to go watch the replay of that game. I don't need to see that. I don't want to see how they lost. <laughs> yeah. But if they won, I was like, ooh, I need, I need to go back and figure out, yeah. see, see what happened, see how they won. So you're really invested day to day, which as you know, the coaches and the players, we kind of have to have a little bit of a longer view of things. So right. that hopefully when October rolls around, we're there, we're on our best, you know, we're, we're, we're playing our best baseball, we're at our healthiest, and we're ready to make a run like we did last year. Awesome. All right, man. I get you gave me way more time than we could have expected. Really appreciate it. Thanks. I know you got got to get to the park and all that. So thanks so much. It was awesome. Really, uh, really appreciated you talking. This was a blast. This was a blast. Let's go win some ball games. All right. Thanks for coming. Thanks a lot, Colin. Seven fifty-five is real. We're out. Appreciate it, everybody.